Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially. You can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. So this is not to be confused with like small groups where you get, you know, in home and you're gathering around the table having meals on a regular basis. DNA is a lot more about like intensive discipleship. Um, th- this is where we're going to really not only just open up the word together, but uh, we'll be doing some Bible study and some Bible obedience together. That's the point. Um, and so, yeah, uh, well said by Pastor Cam, and thank you for that video. It's a beautiful vision casting video, and we'd love to answer any more questions that you have today about you getting connected Uh, in a DNA, Discover, Nurture, and Act, in a DNA group so you can continue to grow as a disciple of Jesus while you are making disciples of Jesus. This is um, something Ansley and I actually started this this past week. I started my DNA group with a couple of guys in Lake Placid that they don't even come to Grace Bible Church. They're, They're not a part of our church family. They're just men that God has placed in my life that also share a desire to grow in their relationship with God. So we started gathering together last week around this guide that we've curated uh, as a team, and it's going to be guiding us over the next nine weeks through some intentional discipleship and gospel growth in our own lives. Now, Ansley, uh, my wife, um, her and the ladies started talking, and the ladies were like, hey, if the guys are getting together, then why aren't we? And so they started getting together. Uh, we Fellas get together Tuesday mornings at 6.30, ladies get together Wednesday mornings at 7, and uh, just an opportunity to also grow in their relationship with God together. Listen, um, the, the, the best work of being the church happens when you're outside of the building called the church. Just so you know. Uh, it, this is like a pep rally for the saints, what we do here on the weekend. When we come together and we celebrate God together through singing and testimony and we open up the word of God together, like this is meant to like encourage and nourish our hearts towards seeing God more clearly and to equip us to go live on mission so that we can actually be the church Monday through Saturday before we come back to the church on Sunday and get fed again. It's like coming back to the gas pump. This is why we come on Sunday, so we can gather together, be encouraged and fueled, so that we can go be who we've been called to be throughout the week, and learning how to submit all the stuff of Jesus, uh, all the stuff of life to the leadership of Jesus. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 9. We're continuing our discussion through the book of Acts, and this was intentional, by the way. Um, We're doing DNA launch, and groups launch and things like that over the next several months because uh, while we're going through the book of Acts because we wanted to make sure that our lens of these things would be in shape by the word of God, not not just by some like modern sales gimmick of churchianity. Uh, We want to really see like why these strategies work and were effective for the growth of the church throughout history and we're jumping on board with what God has been doing for thousands of years. Um, that, that's, what this is. that's where this DNA idea comes from, just gathering in small groups, because we saw in Acts chapter 2, not only were they showing up to the temple once a week to worship God together, but they were getting in homes and breaking bread together and like speaking of the word as they were coming and going together. And, and let's be honest, like we've kind of got off of those rhythms throughout the centuries within the church. We've kind of been derailed because we're so busy and so consumed by everything else around us and our lives are like lived through these little tiny boxes we called cell phones. 
And like we're missing the point of like why God left us here as disciples. There's a reason why like when you, if you're a believer in Jesus, I know not everybody is. And that's, I I want you to feel comfortable being here if you are not yet a follower of Jesus. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But for those that are followers of Jesus, like the reason why when you confess Jesus is the Lord of your life, that he didn't just snatch you up into heaven with him and left you here on earth instead is because of the things we're talking about. Because he decided, his master's strategy to saturate the world with the good news of Jesus was not by sending 10,000 legions of angels, and it's not like he couldn't, and it's not like he hasn't. He's done that before. But instead, he decided to do it through us. Regular ordinary people and the regular ordinary rhythms of life, preachers and pastors and prophets, like we have a limited reach. There's only so many people in the heartland that are going to walk through these doors, You, on the other hand, have an unlimited reach because God has put you everywhere and you have relationships with people that wouldn't give me the time of day. And so God has implanted his gospel in you, has transformed your life, has given you a burden for people in your life, and he wants to use you as the vehicle that he's going to drive so that those people can see the glory of God and hopefully, through the power of the Holy Spirit, confess Jesus as Lord. And that their life might be radically transformed just as yours has been. It kind of leads us into our conversation today in Acts chapter 9. Quite frankly, like um, many, many of the sermons that we preach and teach um, are, are kind of like to, 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 to everybody that's listening in. To the believer, to the not believer. Um, we, we want everybody to be led in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's our mission. And so we definitely like... Cater and curate like what, what we're talking about in the scriptures so that you can see like how this informs the life of the believer and the not believer, and you're gonna see some of that today. But let me start by talking to the believers, like people who really are like genuinely submitted, surrendered followers of Jesus. All right, and I'm gonna begin with the end of the sermon. All right, and here, here's the end of the sermon right up at the beginning. Um, who's your one? All right, that's just how I'm gonna tag this. Who's your one? Who's the person in your life? You may not have thought about it until right now, but who's the person in your life that you feel such a burden for because you know that they don't know the Lord, you know that they're not experiencing his peace and his life and his hope and his help and his comfort? Who's the, who's the one person that like you just, it seems like with, with, without you even asking permission, like it's like the Holy Spirit just kind of prompts, they come into your mind. You see them, you feel a burden for them, like you're just longing to see them come to know the Lord, but maybe you, maybe you feel really so close to them that you're afraid to kind of bring it up. Maybe they're so far removed from you that like it would be weird to bring it up because they don't really know you, but for whatever reason you feel a burden, or maybe they're somewhere in between, like who's your one? Who's the one that the Spirit of God has placed an overwhelming burden in your life to see transformed. I can assure you, like, if you're intentionally and faithfully walking with Jesus, there's going to be a one, at least one. If we share the same heart as the Holy Spirit, like, we're going to be burdened for the world around us. And so who is it for you? And do you believe it's possible that God can step in and gloriously intrude in their story and rescue them? Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe it's possible that no matter how hard they may be, how, how long their rap sheet is, how dismissive of the things of God they may be, do you believe it's possible that Jesus can break through that and rescue them? 
That brings us to our story today. This is one of the many turning points in the book of Acts that is like, just like, I mean, they should make a movie of the book of Acts, really, they should. Um, This is like the word of God coming to life in people, in regular, ordinary people, in just an extraordinary way. And so now we're in Acts chapter 9, and we get to see one of the most significant conversions in the history of the church. And you'll, uh, those of you that were listening last week or the last couple of weeks, you heard us talking about a guy named Saul who killed the first Christian named Stephen. Stephen was a deacon of the church, and Saul was like this young Really, really brilliant mind within the Judaism. He was like on the fast track to success. He was rising in the ranks really quickly. And um, he was one that was like set out to try to destroy Christianity. His name was Saul. Say Saul. He hated Christians. He felt like he was on a holy mission from God to try to destroy Christianity. He really believed like God had called him to do this thing. And so he was successful in his first execution, and he executed a guy named Stephen who had been appointed as a deacon within the, uh, within the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this wasn't like a legal proceeding. He didn't do it the right way. Uh, there was no hearing. There was no trial. There was no judge or jury. This was more like a mob-style execution. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, Genesis. What, what book are we in? Acts <laughs> That's back in the beginning. If you start there, it'll take you a long time to get to where I'm talking about. Acts chapter 6 and 7, and you see the execution. Acts chapter 8, you see the church scatter because at this point, all the followers of Jesus, or the way, um, all the followers of Jesus still lived in Jerusalem. They're the ones that have been hearing the apostles preach the gospel. Well, after they saw Stephen just ex- executed without, you know, unjustly and without trial, uh, the, the Christians started scattering throughout the known world. And that brings us to Acts chapter 9. It says, but Saul, say Saul. Now I'll just confess to you, I'm probably going to call him Paul like 35 times in this conversation because he eventually gets named Paul. And I'm going to get that confused at least 50 times this weekend. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest. Now, just so you know, this breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, this is an idiom in the Greek language, which is basically like a word picture in the Greek language. It was essentially letting us know, like, Paul felt convicting and committed to stamp out Christianity. And his goal wasn't to try to slow the spread of it. He wanted to destroy it completely. And the way that he planned on doing it was through straight-up mob-style murder. He was going to wipe them off the face of the planet as fast as he could. And so here was his strategy. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Say Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, they're talking about Jesus followers. They called them the way back then. They weren't named Christians yet. We'll get there eventually. But they called them the way probably because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And these people were followers of the way. They were followers of Jesus. And so he gets arrest warrants from the high priest that give him the authority to essentially imprison anybody between here and Damascus that he comes across that is a follower of the way. Men and women that he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. Um, Things aren't looking too good for the New Testament Christians, especially when Saul picks up these arrest warrants and he now has the authority to bring them all back to Jerusalem for what might end up being trials, but ultimately will end up 
being execution. And by the way, uh, when this was happening, this wasn't long after Stephen died. We're talking about a couple chapters of the Bible and Acts. I mean, for the sake of this discussion, it might have been a couple weeks since Stephen was killed. And now these disciples have scattered all throughout the known world, and Paul gets word that there are followers of the way that have showed up in Damascus. Now keep in mind, Damascus is like 150 miles away, and they couldn't take an Uber. There was no planes, trains, or automobiles back in those days. And so for like a a man traveling by himself that was young and fit and could make the journey, it would take him at least a week. Now, calculating the fact that there's now a family in tow, They are walking 150 miles to try to get as far from Saul and Jerusalem as they can. And some of them reach as far as Damascus within within a couple of weeks. And word gets back to Saul that there are Christians even as far as Damascus. So he decides he's going to take a two-week round trip and arrest as many of them as he can. These people were just getting there. And Saul was hot on their trail. Saul was angry because Damascus, see, was an ancient Very ancient. We hear about Damascus even in the days of Abraham. It was a very ancient, very Jewish community. And the last thing Saul wanted to see is for the waters to get tainted with this Christian message of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus. And so he's hot on their trail, and he's headed to Damascus to try to arrest as many as he can so that he can kill as many as he can because he wants to stamp out Christianity. And then this happens. And now as he went... On his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly the way. Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, Whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter into the city. Go on into Damascus, and you'll be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him, he had an entourage of thugs with him. And the men who were traveling with him stood there speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. They heard the voice of Jesus, but they didn't see what was happening. And then Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, up until this point, what we've seen in the New Testament church is God using Christian people, followers of the way, to declare the good news of Jesus to anybody that would listen. So in other words, we saw God using disciples to make more disciples. This is the first time we see, without any assistance from anybody off the bench, Jesus step out of heaven and just totally gloriously interrupt somebody's life. I asked you before, do you believe that like God can step in and rescue even the hardest heart This was one of those times in history where Jesus himself, without any assistance, broke through the hardest heart with no help at all. Do you believe that God can take anyone under any set of circumstances and radically transform their life? We see it right here. And I wanted to point this out, this radical and glorious interruption. I wanted to point this out for three reasons. This is Jesus stepping into the story. This is no apostles, this is no pastors, no priests. This is just Jesus that showed up 
And to a guy, he wasn't resistant to Christianity. He wanted to wipe it off the face of the planet. He was a Christian killer, and Jesus stepped in to his story to grab a hold of him and get his attention. And I wanted to say this to us for three reasons. There's three re- things I really want us to pay attention to, really three crowds of people that might be listening into this conversation this morning or online or whatever. Um, and, and I wanted to tell you this for uh, reason number one. Um, this is a reminder to the mama, to the daddy, to the grandma, to the aunt, to the uncle, to the friend of the, the wayward one. The person that you're burdened for and longing to see come to Jesus and longing to see experience the help and the comfort that can only come in knowing Jesus and longing for them to just have this radical transformation. Like, this is a reminder to you that at any moment, under any set of circumstances, Jesus can step into their story and rescue them. So you don't stop praying. You don't stop having hope and you don't stop waiting with anticipation and trusting God and asking Jesus to step in and break down the stoniness of that hardened heart. He's done it a million times before and he can show enough, do it again. Trust in him, keep praying. That's the first group of people I wanted to mention too. The second group of people I wanted to share this story for so that you could see, I want you to know that there is nobody too far gone. No rap sheet too long, no criminal record too thick nor brokenness too great, nor darkness too deep. Nobody is beyond the reach of the grasp of the grace of God. Nobody. And I say that to the followers of Jesus so that you might be reminded that there is nobody that you have ever come in contact with or ever come in contact with that Jesus isn't madly in love with who doesn't long to step into their story and interrupt their lives and draw them into a relationship with him. Nobody. So don't you dare, oh, religious people, make a predetermined judgment as whether somebody else is worth the grace of God because he determined when he went to the cross that they were worthy of his grace and his forgiveness. And he longs to rescue them just like he rescued you. But also say, on the flip side of that second group of people, I bet that there are people listening to this conversation that you you are hesitant to come back to God because you realize now just how far you have drifted from God and how reckless your life has been and how much destruction your life has had. And you're thinking, man, it's going to be a long ways back to better find my way back into the grace of God, I want you to know that in an instant, Jesus can turn a terrorist into an evangelist just like that. You don't need people's permission, and you don't even have to be totally comfortable with it. But I want you to know that God can set you free in an instant through the power of Jesus, through his love for you. And he is so wildly and madly in love with you, even in the broken state that you are in, that while you were still a sinner, Jesus stepped out of heaven and died on a cross so that you could be rescued, so that you could be saved. It's not a long journey back because Jesus is the way. He's the one that can rescue you. He's the only way. And he is calling out to you this morning. He is So longing to see you experience the grace that he has for you and the freedom and the forgiveness that he offers you through your confession and believing that he is Lord of your life. Uh, Let me just stop right there, as a matter of fact. Not part of the sermon, but going to be a part of our discussion. Would you bow your heads and just pray for the ones that feel that way?
God, I pray for the person that is so burdened about their own sinfulness and wickedness that they are thinking, man, God could never possibly love me. God can never possibly rescue me unless I can find a way to behave well enough, long enough to get back into God's good graces. And some of the crap that I've done in my life has been so wicked and so godless. I'm not sure that he would ever be able to overlook those things. God, would you remind them this morning that you're not the one who overlooks them. You're the one that pays for them and wipes them away. And I pray for the person, God, that has yet to return to you and confess you as king, Lord, that this morning they would do that. And I just want to ask, like, this, just between you and me, I'm talking to you people. Keep your heads down. I don't want to freak nobody out. I don't do, we ain't doing an altar call. I'm not bringing the keyboard out here to make you feel all emotional. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is just gripping a hold of somebody's heart, either here or online. And if you are among those that are wanting to be in relationship with Jesus, but you feel like you have been too far gone, but you want to confess him as Lord this morning, receive the forgiveness that he has for you, would you just like acknowledge to me, just to me, just slip your hand up long enough so I can see you. I want to talk to you later, like later after everybody leaves. Would you just slip your hand up long enough so that I can see that you are making that decision to follow Jesus in your life? Slip your hand up for just a second. I'll acknowledge it as soon as I see it. If you're somebody that's watching this stuff online and God is like gripping your heart on your couch or as you're driving down the road and listening to podcasts, would you just call us at the church office, ask for me. My name's Dustin. I want to talk to you more about this. And ladies and gentlemen, you can lift your heads up. That was the second group I wanted to talk to is the ones that believe that they're too far gone or this story reminds us that no one is too far gone. And then the third group of people I wanted to talk to when it comes to this story is to remind you, like, we've been talking a lot about being missionaries, about being disciple makers, about getting in a DNA group, about being a missionary at the workplace and at the mailbox and in the grocery store line. And some of that feels wildly intimidating, especially when we think about the type of people that we're trying to reach and the world around us. And some of you just felt an overwhelming burden like me about how do I do that? How do I live that out? Because it's, it's difficult and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. Like this story reminds me. Saul's conversion when Jesus gloriously intrudes and step into his story just reminds me like that Jesus and his Holy Spirit are more committed to this than we could ever be. And he's going to break through and break in with or without our help. We get invited to be a part of this great rescue mission. We get invited to behold the glory of God because we got to play a part in the rescue of someone else's life. And he's going to empower us, and he's going to fuel you, and he's going to give you the courage that you need, and he's going to give you the resilience that you need to just keep on being patient and sincere and loving in that relationship with the hope of gospel intentionality along the way. Like, this story reminds us that he is way more committed than we are. And so he started with the roughest dude on planet Earth, the most dangerous terrorist walking the face of the planet, whose name was Saul. Just to prove the point that there is no one too far gone that he wouldn't step up off his throne to come and rescue. Let's pray and let's join in him in praying for those things and the people of life, of our life. Now, just as if we were watching a screenplay here, the curtain closes on Paul being blind and laid up somewhere in Damascus. 
and the curtain reopens across town at a guy named Ananias' house because Jesus has something to say to him too. And in verse 10 it says, And there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Say Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, and he said, Here I am, Lord. He was probably reading Sam, about Samuel that morning, reminded that the, as the Lord called out to Samuel, Samuel finally said, all right, here, am, here I am. He was probably thinking about Isaiah that morning in his quiet time when Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. He was probably thinking about how God used the apostles to do extraordinary things and like now's his ticket. This is Jesus' call to the bullpen and Ananias is up and he hears his voice And he says, all right, God, sign me up. Yes, sir, reporting for duty. Whatever you have for me, Lord, I can't wait to hear what it's going to be. My life is meant to be used for you. Here I am, Lord. And so the Lord says, I want you to rise up, and I want you to go to a street called Straight. That was the name of the street. He's giving him, this is is GPS back before GPS. He said, this is how you're going to get there. I need you to go to Straight Street, and I want you to stop by a guy's house named Judas, so far so good. And then I want you to look for a man who's from Tarsus, and his name is Saul. (laughs) What? For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision that a man named Ananias, that's you, Ananias, is going to come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And all of a sudden, this here I am, Lord. I can't wait to be used by you reporting for duty, sir. Can't wait to see how you're going to use my life turns into, uh, Lord, I know you don't watch the nightly news, but uh, I've been hearing from a lot of people about this guy and how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has now the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name and you're sending me into his house. To talk to him, but the Lord said to him, go. How many of us try to excuse our way out of the things that God is telling us to do? Ananias, by the way, was probably the leader of the Christians in Damascus, who, by the way, had just arrived. They hadn't been there long. This was a guy known for his faithfulness. This was a guy that, like, obviously the Lord trusted to trust in him. And as soon as, like, God, all right, here's the game plan. Here's the master strategy. I want you to go. Lay hands on Saul of Tarsus, Ananias starts explaining to God all the reasons why that's not a good idea. Have you ever done that before? Like just quickly like explain away like, oh, I don't know that I'm going to have time today, Lord. Would you just send another saint to do that job? I mean, now that, that neighbor's too mean. I don't know that I'm going to be able to go talk to them about this. But the Lord says, no, 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 I want you to go. Because this guy named Saul, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, which is everybody that's not a Jew, the kings and the children of Israel, the Jews. For I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and And he regained his sight, and then he rose, and he was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Listen, I don't want you to miss what's happening right here. Saul's not the only one who got his sight back that day. Saul's not the only one 
who divinely had scales fall from his eyes so that he could see clearly again. I'm pretty sure that scales fell from Ananias' eyes so that he could see clearly again too. I'm pretty sure that Ananias, like most of us, had realized just how how many people were not accepting the good news, and so it was causing him to hesitate. It It was like robbing his courage Especially when you consider who God was telling him to go share the good news with. And I think God just reminded him. God just allowed him see again. That the Lord can rescue even the hardest heart. Without any help. In a moment's notice. And Ananias was just being invited in to behold the glory of God while he was at work. And... uh, He was trying to explain his way out of the situation, and God allowed him to see again. And and I wonder, like, is there anybody in your life, for real, is there anybody in your life that you just outright dismissed? Like, there's no no way that God could break through and rescue that person. That's just not, they, they hate the Lord, they hate the church, they were hurt by it, or they just hate it outright, or they're atheist or agnostic or whatever. There's anybody in your life that you just kind of written off, like, well, I mean, we're just gonna have to, you know, that ain't going to happen there, so like I'm not going to bother with that particular one. Is there anybody in your life? Now, I know many, some of you may say, yeah, I know many of you would probably say, no, no, no. That's not me. I would never do anything like that. I'm too pious and holy. So let me just flip the question around on you just a little bit. What if, what if, what if failure in sharing the gospel and, and the other person receiving it, what if failure was like really unlikely? You hear what I'm saying? Like, like what, if, what if the reality of the world that we live in is that it is unlikely that somebody that hears the gospel is going to reject it? What, what, if, what if it was highly likely, not only highly likely, but probable that anybody that we shared the gospel with was not only going to hear it, but they were going to believe it. Not only believe it, but their life was going to be transformed by it radically. Not only transformed, but like their family was going to be transformed and their friends were going to be transformed I wonder who then we would share the gospel with. Everybody. But that's not what we believe. We don't believe that it's highly unlikely or probable they're going to receive it. We believe that it's highly unlikely and probable that they are going to reject it. And for good reason. Let's be honest. Like, I mean, the scripture says, wide is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to righteousness. Like most people are just going to reject the message. And that kind of causes us to hesitate, like Ananias. Because then we start weighing in the awkwardness. We start weighing in what it's going to cost us to be rejected by somebody that we love or care about. And we go to like share the good news, share our faith with somebody else. We start weighing that in. It just makes us really hesitant. It like kind of strips us of our courage, like Ananias. But like I'm not sure that that's the real big problem. I think the real big problem is more deeply rooted than that that we see here in Ananias' life. And I think the real big problem is that when we get in those situations, we actually step back. We look at the person or the people, and we, we predetermine, we make a judgment by our own accord as to who we believe will receive it or not receive it. And by that judgment, it affects directly our motivation as to how willing we are to share it with person A or person B. That's the problem. We, like Ananias, have already determined, oh, yeah, old Joe, he ain't going to hear that. 
I ain't even going to bother. It ain't worth the time. Not only, it's going to wreck the relationship. It's going to mess up my business partnership with it. I'm not even going to. It ain't worth it. And we actually like take the seat of God and write someone off and decide, you know what, they're not going to receive it anyway, so why bother? We, we, we take on a judgment seat as if we could view the heart of man, which is a place that God has reserved for himself alone. We don't have access to that kind of vision. You, we can't see that. Only he can. And so let me ask the question again. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that God can break through, that Jesus can break through even the most hardened and stony Heart. Let me, let me remind you, beloved, like if you feel God calling you as Ananias towards ministering the gospel, sharing your faith, entering into relationship, DNA with somebody or whatever, I want to remind you like the spirit wouldn't tell you to go somewhere that he wasn't already there waiting for you. He's already beat you to the punch. The one who has called you has already gone before you. Let me just give you a quick commercial break on that because I don't want you to make the mistake of determining the success of the encounter as you are sharing your faith with others. I don't want you to make the mistake of determining the success based on how well they receive it. You hear what I'm saying? I don't want you to determine whether it was a successful encounter or unsuccessful based on whether that person receives it or not or what level they receive it or not because I want to remind you, like, you are not God. Our job in the scripture is to be seed planters and seed waterers. He's the Lord of the harvest. In other words, like you're called to be faithful. His job is to be fruitful. You can't create transformation in people's lives. I, I have to lay that burden down at the altar of the king every time I walk up on this stage. Because every, and I'm going to have to do it again next service and the service after that because my heart longs for you to believe what I'm telling you. But I know most of you don't. And it doesn't matter how entertaining or how funny or persuasive it is. The bottom line is, we may get a few head bobs and a few amens, but most people are going to say, oh, that was nice. I like it when he tells stories about his life and funny jokes. I really like those sermons. But like when he starts getting real and raw, that ain't for me. Like I have to lay down on the altar of God like, hey, faithfulness is my job and fruitfulness is your job. And you're the one that's going to have to transform lives because I can't. Only the Holy Spirit can do that kind of stuff. And the same is true of me is the same is true of you. Faithfulness is your job. Fruitfulness is his. And if you hear God as Ananias is calling you to enter into a direct encounter, a direct relationship so that you can see the work of God through ministry through you, like trust in him. The spirit has already beat you there. He's already doing work ahead of you. And don't measure that based on how well the person receives it in a moment. And by the way, Jesus had this problem too. Just ask Jesus how well it goes when he tried to be the gospel and share the gospel with his own brothers. John chapter 5 told us that not one of his brothers that lived in the house with him believed in him. And people were following Jesus by the thousands. But there was a few guys that just happened to be the sons of Mary and Joseph, and it'd be terrible to be Jesus' brother. Let's just call it what it is. Just imagine how your mom would be like, I just wish you were more like Jesus. You know, like... You know what I'm saying? Like, it would have been awful. So John 7 tells that his own brothers didn't even believe in him. How many times do you think Jesus spoke of the things of God to his own brothers? But yet they always rejected it. Always rejected it. Without exception. Even Jesus, 
And it wasn't until one brother named James ran into his resurrected brother, Jesus, who he had saw die on the cross as he held his mother and watched his brother die. Now running into him at Starbucks a week later, it wasn't until James met his resurrected brother, Jesus. It wasn't until Jesus gloriously intruded into James' story that James confessed Jesus as Lord. James went on to be one of the leaders of the New Testament church that we'll see later in the book of Acts. James went on to write the book of James that we find in the New Testament. You know what's interesting about that? Hey, listen, if you checked out, check back in. The book of James sounds an awful lot like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But remember, James didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was preaching that sermon. He wasn't on the front row, but apparently he was in the back row. And though he was outright rejecting Jesus, he was listening. And those seeds being planted were taking root into his life. And when the day finally came that the resurrected king just captured the heart of James... And James went to, went to pin out the word of God. It was the deposits that Jesus had made that Jesus would have assumed that James never heard are the ones that shaped his entire ministry and legacy. And quite honestly, the same is true of the Apostle Paul right here. Look what happens. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And then immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. Uh, this was a Paul that had been outright rejecting the message and the work of Jesus, but yet he had been overhearing it. He had been hearing people talk about it. So his first day on the scene as a follower of Jesus, he started to spit up and rearticulate the things that he had been he hearing about Jesus. And he goes on to preach in the synagogue saying that he is the son of God. This wasn't new news. He had been hearing this for a while and it finally took root. It finally came to full fruition in his life. And all that heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And is he, has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound back to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Man, God can do radical, radical reconciliations to himself if we just trust in him. Only Jesus can turn a terrorist into evangelist, but he's done it a million times before and he can do it again. Now to the skeptic in the room, I've talked to believers, not believers. Let's talk about the skeptic just real quick as we wrap this thing up. Like, come on, man. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this dude having a vision of Jesus, he was a Christian killer, and a vision of Jesus on the road, and like, and a few of his, you know, gangster buddies, like, they's heard it too, I'm sure he paid them off, like, come on, man, like, and he goes into Damascus, and he also says, like, isn't, one of, isn't this one of the, like, these Jonah and the whale, like, Christian fairy tale type stories that are meant to just, like, further the message, but, like, how do we even verify that stuff? To make sure it's true, like, come on, man. This guy named Saul of Tarsus was a registered resident of first century Rome. Look it up. This same guy had dual citizenship. He was not only a resident of Rome, he had a Roman citizenship. Look it up. But he also was a member of the Pharisees of the Jewish temple, like the religious elite of his day in Judaism. He was a known entity in the first century 
Jewish temple, and his name was Saul of Tarsus. Look it up. He had the highest level of education from Tarsus. This was like the Harvard of its day. Look it up. Oh, yeah, by the way, he was also leading a raid to kill Christians in first century Jerusalem. Look it up. This is ancient history. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he decided to take his raid outside of Jerusalem and blitz Damascus. Look it up. And on the way to Damascus, he, he changed his mind. And only Jesus can step in and change a hard heart like that one. To go from killing Christians to making Christians. Only Jesus can do that. Blame it on whatever you want to, but all I know is the greatest villain on planet Earth at that particular point in history became one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the Christian church, and it happened like that. So let me ask you again, who's your one? Who's the one that your heart feels burdened for? Who's the one that you long to see God step in and transform their life? Who's the one that you're willing to say, here I am and use me, God, but I'm terrified at the thought of how you might use me in that conversation or in that relationship? Who's your one? Let's take that and let's, let's present that to God together this morning. How about, let's pray. I want you to just imagine um, the, the life of that one or the ones that you just have a burden for. And I want you to just, let's just, for the sake of taking action, like, let's, just, let's just picture their life as something that we could hold in our hands. Uh, you, you know their relationships. You know the kind of work that they do. You know a little bit about them. Like, let's just take all that you know about them. Let's place that in our hands. And let's just like, physically just lift your hands up towards the Lord as a physical presentation. God, this one has to be yours because I'm not sure anybody but you can break through. And so, Lord, I lay this person at your feet again. And just like you rescued Saul, Lord, would you rescue fill in the blank? I know you can, and we beg that you will, because I know that you love them. And God, if using me is a part of that story, Father, here I am. Use me to the glory of God and the good of our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.